Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on this one, we're going to be looking at the Patriots and their matchup um, in Week 2, as well as um, how things went in Miami, and look at the Red Sox and the close race for the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the wild card, and also take a look at the Celtics and some you know, players who might be on the trade market that uh, have kind of wanted out and if they make sense for Boston and also looking at some Bradley Beal, Zach Levine stuff as well. So let's start with the Patriots, which is a tough loss in week one, especially because it was a close one. They lost by one point. The Patriots had a pretty solid uh, game overall. Mac Jones had a pretty solid game overall. It didn't go as planned. Obviously, they lost 17 to 16 against the Dolphins. And if you look at sort of the game, you had, you know, Tua, who was decent. I thought Mac Jones played better than Tua, but the Dolphins just played better on defense and everything. Mac Jones was 281 yards, one touchdown, 29 of 39. Tua, 16 of um, 27, 202, one touchdown, one interception. Damian Harris, 23 carries, 100 yards, and Nelson Aguilar, 5 receptions, 72 yards, 1 touchdown. It wasn't an awful game at all. I mean, really, they didn't get a lot of rushing from anyone other than Damian Harris. And they really didn't get a ton of production out of anyone outside of Nelson Aguilar, James White, Jacoby Myers, and a little bit on John U. Smith, Hunter Henry um, for the... Uh, um, the receiving side of things and they ended up with four fumbles which two of them were recovered two of them were not and on defense there was um there was the interception from jonathan jones and they did some kick returning which was uh brandon bolden one for 23 yards gunner Ozlowski one for 17 and gunner Ozlowski had three punts for 20 yards and nick folk had a good Three for three hundred percent from his um, field goals, one for one extra points. His long was forty-two. Um, not a good uh, game for the Patriots overall, but you know, I guess they can come back in the next one. They play at the Jets, which, in theory, should be a victory without any um, hesitation because the Jets aren't looking as good. If you look at where the Jets were in their game, uh, at least in uh, the first uh, go of it, they are zero and one. Um, it is a 65%, according to the ESPN matchup predictor, 65% uh, chance that they end up winning the game, 34.7% chance they end up losing the game, and the Jets win, and a 0.3% chance of a tie, which obviously probably won't happen, but hey, it's a small percentage. They played the Panthers, which the Panthers had uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, that was a rematch of rematches, although it was Carolina, not in New York, so... I guess he wasn't um, at home for that one. And, I mean, Zach Wilson, two touchdowns, 258 yards, one interception, 20 of 37. Not awful numbers. Wasn't great, but not awful. So, um, I think this is going to be a good game. I think the Patriots should pretty much win this one with um, without any uh, hesitation. Obviously, they look um, solid as it is. Then they have to deal with the Saints, who had a great game out of uh, Jameis Winston. And so after the Jets, they will play uh, the Saints, which um, that game is at this point, according to the match predictor, a 49.8, 49.8% chance. So they're tied and a 
0.4% chance of them actually tying the whole game. But in terms of New Orleans versus New England, who's going to win? It's, at this point, um, a uh, wash uh, in terms of uh, that one. Even, even. Now, looking at the matchup, this is the matchup predictor. I just want to look at some of these because I just uh, found this on ESPN so you can see them. 51.6%, 48% chance. This is the Tampa Bay-New England game. So, 51.6% Tampa Bay, 48% New England, 0.4% tie. So, Obviously, Tampa Bay is expected to win that one, in my opinion, and they have the edge slightly, even though it is at home. Patriots uh, and Texans. Texans are 1-0, but 65% chance New England gets this, 34% chance, 34.7% uh, chance they don't, uh, and Houston wins, and then a 3%, 0.3% uh, tie percentage, which um, is in there. And the Cowboys, uh, 40 44.2% chance Dallas wins, 55.5% chance Patriots win, 0.4% chance that there's a tie, obviously. Um, if you look at the media, the Dallas Cowboys are a big part of the media with Jerry Jones and Skip Bayless as, you know, a big uh, voice for them. I also want to look at the Chargers game because I don't think the Patriots are going to win that one, although uh, the predictors agree with me. 59.2% chance the Patriots lose and the Chargers win. 40.5% chance they win. And a 0.3% chance that we see um, we see the Patriots uh, and Chargers tie the game. For the Patriots right now, we have Ronnie Perkins, who is questionable. Quinn Norton, who's out. Kyle Van Noy's out with a throat injury. Jonu Smith is questionable. And Trent Brown is questionable. So we will see where they go from there with that one. I want to go to the MLB and look at the race out there in the American League. It's it's something. The wild card race is something. Tampa Bay has an 8.5 game lead just over everyone, period, in the East, uh, American League East. Then you go to the wild card, which is a dog's fight, where you have a bunch of you know teams fighting for a spot, right? So the Red Sox have a three-game win streak. They're up half game. Yankees have a one-game win streak. They are... At this point, half game back, holding the second wild card spot. The Blue Jays are half game behind the Yankees. The Oakland A's are 2.5 behind Toronto, and actually 2.5 behind uh, the Yankees. Uh, and then Seattle is 3.5 behind the Yankees. So it's not a uh, 100% out there if Seattle makes it and or Oakland makes it. Obviously, for me, Red Sox are in first, which would be great, and it would be cool to see them get that home field advantage just for the one game because that's going to help now out of all these teams that are here i would love to see the red sox play oakland uh and then the red sox play the yankees for the rivalry um but the yankees somehow seem to find a way and i don't want to have to deal with the yankees so i feel like the red sox have a good chance against toronto oakland or seattle i don't know new york just scares me a little bit because they seem to to pull out the strings when they need to which is not a good thing they have a lot of issues their pitching is terrible they you know have some good players that they threw in uh joey gallo uh, anthony rizzo some some players coming in but the red sox look good if you got chris sale healthy for a one game and he's facing off against garrett cole i'd take chris sale on that nine times out of ten so this is an interesting one because the red sox just seem to you know, keep that lead, and that's what we need. It's a short one. They're playing the Orioles. Um, 
They already beat the Orioles. They beat two against the Mariners, which is big uh, for them. Lost two out of three against the White Sox. And uh, before that, they lost two out of three against the Rays. So maybe, you know, this series against the Orioles will be a good one for them. And it can help them kind of solidify their lead a little bit. And, you know, the Yankees can kind of drop back uh, just a tad. They're playing the Indians. And I wouldn't say this is a, a winnable series. They did win the first one. But I will say they probably um, could lose uh, the next one or a few games, which is all we really want. Yankees lose games. They don't make the playoffs. And everyone's happy, except for um, Yankee fans who... Um, you know, would be upset, which I don't really care, because at this point in time, Yankee fans really just, all they have is their 27 rings, and they love throwing it down your throat, even though they've only won uh, their last championship in 2009, and in this decade, when the Red Sox have four, they only have two of them, so, you know, the Red Sox in this modern era of baseball, if they can win another championship, are just as good as the Yankees, and you can argue, oh, well, you know, the the Red Sox don't have 27 rings, but, you know, there are tons of, you know, fans out there in sports and in basketball that are saying that, oh, well, in the modern era, the Boston Celtics only have four championships. And, yeah, they do have three in, in the 1980s, and they have one in 2008. So if you want to go by that sort of same mantra, the Red Sox are almost as good, and if they win a championship in the next few years before the Yankees do, then they have the same number in the modern era, which I believe most people say is around like 1980s. Uh, so you could argue that if you want to look at the whole scope of things, yes, the Yankees have 27 rings, but what have they done recently? So uh, the Red Sox keeping this going, um, a three-game win streak. Oakland has a three-game win streak. Toronto has a one-game losing streak. And at the bottom, as always, is the Baltimore Orioles, who have one of the worst records in the American League, the worst record in the American League, and they're tied with Arizona as the worst record in all of baseball, for sure, for sure. So, uh, look, good games come. If the Red Sox can get it done. That's what we need. And so if we're looking at the the standings itself, if the Red Sox make, uh, make it, uh, the best record in the American League is Tampa Bay. So Tampa Bay would have to most likely play, I think they would be playing the, um, Tampa Bay would play the Red Sox, they have the best record. And then the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros, who are the 2-3, and three, Houston 2, Chicago 3, they would face off against each other. So it would be a tough battle. Wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities to see the Red Sox beat Tampa Bay. But it's going to be tough, you know, getting through the whole series, um, and if they get there, it would be probably a loss. I don't want to say uh, that it's um, going to be for certain a loss. But playing against the best team in the American League and a team that is arguably one of the best teams in baseball, it's going to be a tough road if they get there. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll look at what goes on and go from there. So, uh, yeah. Now I want to look just for a minute, or more than a minute I should say, on the Celtics, and there's some stuff that I want to look at, which is, first, two players who are potentially going to get traded because they don't want to be in their situation, and how this either affects the Celtics or if they can get involved. So, we all know about Ben Simmons. We all know he's not happy. Ben Simmons is one of those players who is very good. He's an all-star. He can't shoot, can't do the free throws, can't, you know, extend his range, which in today's NBA is very 
uh, important. And so there's a very, you know, unknown factor in the Ben Simmons trade situation, and that is just how much he's worth. Where is the value for Ben Simmons? Because we don't know. He's an all-star, and you would assume if he is an all-star and a multiple-time all-star who has, you know, close to triple-double seasons, he's someone that you'd consider having a ton of value, someone who is a very, very, you know, sought-after player, especially seeing as, you know, he is someone who is still young. But it doesn't seem like he has as much value as he should. And, you know, it seems like a lot of the big-name players aren't available. And it seems like the Philadelphia 76ers aren't settling for young players in draft picks. And so it's an interesting, you know, conundrum because I don't know if, you know, for the 76ers, they're willing to, you know, stoop to a level where they have to take an offer that they don't want to take. And I think they're 100% okay riding the season out with Ben Simmons on the bench because he just doesn't want to play. Which, I don't know if that's 100% the greatest move for them because getting something is better than nothing. But um, if Ben Simmons is gung-ho on being like, you know what, if you don't want to trade me because you don't find the packages to be right, then I'm not going to play. And Ben Simmons has come out and said, it's not my job to get you a good package. It's your job to find a good trade, right? I can't boost my value and I can't, you know, do anything like that. I have what I'm worth and trade me to a team that I want to go to. He wants to go to California, mostly uh, the Golden State Warriors because of the fact that they actually have pieces to throw out there. Obviously, I don't think Philadelphia wants James Weissman or Andrew Wiggins or whatever Golden State's offering. And I don't know if Golden State will get involved. I think part of um, what is hurting Philadelphia also is the fact that they've just kind of squashed a bunch of uh you know teams uh you know in terms of the fact that they've wanted so many crazy offers like the Toronto offer that was just so insane with OG and Siakam and Van Vliet in the fourth pick and then the offer for Golden State with all these pieces thrown in multiple picks and you know Wiggins and all these other players and so it's one of those things where a lot of teams might not want to even work with Philadelphia because they know that they're overvaluing Ben Simmons and they've thrown out offers that are so ridiculous that, you know, it doesn't even make any sense to get it done. And Ben Simmons is a great player, but he can't shoot. And for a lot of teams, if you have a big man who can't shoot and then you have to have Ben Simmons who can't shoot, it's very, very difficult to make a situation like that work, especially seeing as that's not how today's NBA is going, right? If you go to a team like Dallas, which honestly I think Dallas makes a ton of sense, you have someone who really can, you know, play that facilitator role and do all the other stuff that maybe Porzingis can't do because he's more of a stretch big. And then you can have other shooters with Luka and Tim Hardaway Jr. and other guys in the lineup. And maybe Ben Simmons plays the power forward and, you know, kind of is a point forward at times and does a bunch of different things. So it makes sense for them because they have a, a center who can shoot. And then you have, you know, for example, a team that has great shooters in Chicago, uh, and Vucevic can shoot and whatnot, but if uh, Chicago wants to do some sort of deal around Kobe White and Patrick Williams and salary filler, maybe they could try and do it. I don't think they have the money for it at this point. But, you know, Ben Simmons, there's a bunch of different places to go. And sort of uh, for the Celtics, yeah, there's, you know, contracts that can match and everything. And I think, you know, they have guys who can make it work, 
And if you, let's say, put Ennis Cantor in the starting lineup as your starting center and you have Ben Simmons, Tatum, Brown, and Marcus Smart, is it the greatest lineup? No, but does he help them? He might. I don't think it's the greatest move, and I think the Celtics are going to stand clear. And I also think Philadelphia is not going to want to help the Celtics in any way because that's their, at this point, with Brooklyn, the two biggest rivals in the uh Atlantic Division in in the East. Um, Milwaukee is also a big rival, and I think Miami as well. But for Philadelphia, they've been battling it out with the Celtics for the last few years in the playoffs and haven't had success against them, um, except for um, you know every now and again. But uh, for uh, the 76ers, I think they're going to try to find the best offer, which might not be, um, in the end, what they really want. It's just whatever's available. And the fact that you know the Celtics... Um, are kind of looking for a third star it would interest that it would interest them to maybe see what they can do but i don't think philly would even want to talk to boston just because of the, the rivalry stuff and i think the celtics and philadelphia are actually going for the same sort of uh players and bradley beal and damian Lillard. if those guys became available it'd be a bidding war and i don't know if ben simmons would actually have um as much value as maybe what the celtics could offer and i think it's going to be an interesting situation if those guys become available because if, let's say, Damian Lillard becomes available, the Celtics could try and get in and could try and get something happening and could try and make a move to kind of see if they can add Lillard and maybe their offer gets better, right? And we'll see where they go from there. Then I want to segue to uh, another player. So there have been rumors of potentially Houston getting involved in a Ben Simmons trade, which would include John Wall going to the 76ers. And John Wall has just said he wants to leave. He doesn't want to be here. He wants to be on a contending team. They're not going to play him. And so John Wall for Ben Simmons has been thrown out there. But in terms of John Wall to the Celtics, this is actually not the worst idea. And I'll tell you why. So obviously he has little to no value. He makes $40 million. He's not that contract everyone wants to have. But for the Celtics, if there's a way for the Celtics to trade for John Wall while also trading for Christian Wood, who is someone that they had interest in when he was in Detroit, He's a very good center. He can play um, either alongside uh, you know, Tatum uh, at the power forward center or play alongside like a Robert Williams and have Williams at the center and Christian Wood at the power forward and Tatum at the small forward and Jalen Brown at the shooting guard and John Wall at the point guard. This is interesting. I don't think the Celtics will go for John Wall straight on his own, but if there's a way to get Christian Wood in this, and a team like Houston, who's rebuilding, might not need Christian Wood anyways because they're just trying to rebuild. Uh, maybe this is something the Celtics kick the tires on more so, more so than Ben Simmons because John Wall, if he's healthy, can get you at least 18 points a game. And in his prime, which he's nowhere near that, he was getting close to 25 a game, which you're not going to get that at all. But a healthy John Wall, if it gets you 18... Yes, Dennis Schroeder is there, and he's a good point guard, and Peyton Pritchard showed some signs in Summer League. But John Wall, if he's healthy, could be a real solid option. And, you know, you have Al Horford, which is an interesting player for Houston because he's kind of, A, an expiring deal next year, and B, if they decide to get him, they could just waive him, and $14 million stays on their cap sheet, and the rest is gone in a year. So they could keep... Al Horford for a year he's only a one-year contract and he can kind of mentor some of the other younger bigs on their team like their recently drafted uh, Alfred Sagan the international guy 
And then they, you know, could throw Josh Richardson in, who's going to be a one-year contract next year. They could potentially throw draft picks in. We could see this as a three-team deal with Marcus Smart going to a third team and the Celtics, you know, getting draft picks in Marcus Smart's uh, trade, and those picks go to Houston. So John Wall might not be the greatest choice, but if the Celtics can turn John Wall into maybe uh, someone and then throw in Christian Wood to make this deal work, it's possible that the Celtics can get you know, this to work. And John Wall's a two-year contract, so $40 million will go away when his contract's over. And maybe if the Celtics have a bunch of smaller contracts with Tatum Brown, John Wall, Christian Wood, then it would make a ton of sense because then once he's off their cap sheet and they have a bunch of money in free agency, then they can use whatever of John Wall's contract is left over, 20 or $30 million or so, or even if it's the whole $40 million, depending on how other contracts fit in, um, they could easily make something happen and sign a free agent and see where they go from here. And so speaking of free agents in the Celtics, um, there was a report out that the Celtics' number two option outside of Bradley Beal if, is uh, Zach Levine. So if Bradley Beal stays in Washington, they're looking at Zach Levine as a second option. So my question is twofold. Who's the better player for the Celtics? Bradley Beal, who's the obvious better uh, player overall, or Zach Levine, who's younger, who fits better on the Celtics' timeline with Tatum and Brown, as Zach Levine is, I think, 26, whereas uh, Bradley Beal is 28, 29. So I think they both bring different things to the Celtics, and I think for the Celtics, there is a good chance that having one of these guys would just increase their chances at being successful. I feel like the Levine situation is different because his team now has Lonzo Ball. His team now has DeMar DeRozan. This team in Chicago could compete. And why would you leave a situation where things could be going in the right direction? Yes, the Celtics are, if he's there, a better team with Tatum Brown and whatnot. But maybe he doesn't want to leave that situation if things look good and they're competing and you know they're a top five team in the East and things go right. Maybe he wants to stick around. Whereas Bradley Beal, his team's not as good and it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs at all. And he could just say, hey, not my thing. I'm going to try and uh, bolt. I think Zach Levine's going to cost less, which that's something to think about as well. But I think Bradley Beal's their number one. I think out of all the players available, he... Is not available at the moment, but if he's available, he's their number one option. And the fact that he's friends with Tatum, as much as people are like, oh, well, that really shouldn't have any, you know, indication on anything. But today's NBA is built on players wanting to play with other people. You know, you have, you know, Carmelo who went to the Lakers because he wants to play with LeBron. You have a bunch of different players who have gone and played places. Look at Miami. Look at the big three they formed. They're friends. They want to play together. And that's what happens. You know, big name guys or small name guys, doesn't matter. People want to play with their friends. And so this is a totally different NBA than it was before because back in the 90s and the 80s, players didn't want to play with their friends. They wanted to play against them so they could compete. Nowadays, you want to be on a super team. You want to be on a team with all of your friends, with all the players. And Bradley Beal and Tatum have said they wanted to play together. And that's that's the truth. And if you have a great head coach and a great general manager and a great team surrounding you in Boston. Why would Tatum want to go somewhere like Washington 
when they could just come to Boston and have more success. If you can get Bradley Beal without giving up Jalen Brown, don't you think he'd rather want to go play in Boston with Jalen Brown, Tatum, rather than going to Washington where you have a bunch of you know unknown talents and a bunch of players who either A, don't fit your system, uh, or B, just it wouldn't work. And so a lot of the draft choices in the f- last few years from the side of Washington haven't panned out as much. And this year they had added Corey Kisbert, who's a good choice, but Tatum and Kisbert play the same position, so you'd have to deal with that situation. And they already have Rari Hachimura, who's there, who plays the power forward. And you could easily get rid of those guys. Obviously, if you trade for Tatum, you'd have to get rid of one or both of them. But still, I just think you know Bradley Beal is their number one option. And I think if he has any indication of coming to Boston, that's who they're going to go for. And they're going to put all their chips in. Because as much as they were interested in Anthony Davis and Danny Ainge had said, oh, AD's coming here, we like him, we want him. There were a lot of hurdles, and many of them included Rich Paul and his uh, meddling in NBA affairs that should not have happened. Obviously, LeBron James is the pseudo, you know, voice behind a lot of stuff, too, and kind of, I want this guy, and it's one of those things where they don't really say no to LeBron, but Bradley Beal is someone who's a good player, he's a good all-star level guy, and is someone who really could make for a good you know, peace for your team. So in the end, I think Bradley Beal is still their number one choice. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I think, you know, the Celtics have to find the right piece and whether that's, you know, you know, Bradley Beal or Zach Levine or John Wall or Christian Wood or some other player. Carl Anthony Towns has been brought up a lot, but he's just not available. And if he was available, he'd be the perfect piece. And I honestly think he'd be a better fit than Bradley Beal and Zach Levine. But he's not leaving. There's no indication he's leaving. He doesn't want to leave. He's with D'Angelo Russell, who's his friend. There's nothing that's going to say, hey, I want to leave this team, right? And yes, Kevin Garnett wanted to leave. Yes, Kevin Love wanted to leave. These are guys who were all-stars and, you know, had a great career in Minnesota. But Carl Anthony Towns is still young. He's still got a lot going on. And they have Anthony Edwards. They have D'Angelo Russell. Maybe they go and get Ben Simmons, and then they have a big four um, of, you know, players and Maybe it works. And so I don't think this team is going to get rid of Carl Anthony Towns. So he's off the table. I don't think there's any chance Boston gets Carl Anthony Towns. He's just not. It's not going to work. So Bradley Beal is the best available. I think that's the guy they really want. I think Tatum and, you know, Brad Stevens and Udoka and this whole group, they're going to push um, to get Bradley Beal. And eventually it's going to happen. I mean, Tatum is definitely going to have to use uh, his influence and kind of give Bradley Beal some, you know, some encouragement on why Boston's a great place to play and just kind of talk his ear and get the ball rolling. But I think it can work, right? Because, you know, if you've wanted to play with this guy for years and you're now both NBA players and great NBA players, wouldn't you want to win a championship together? So I think that's still their number one option. Zach Levine might be their number two, but they're going to fight for Bradley Beal. And if he decides, hey, I want to be a free agent next year and I want to go somewhere, they'll see what they can do. If he wants to sign and trade with the Celtics, great. I think if Bradley Beal wants to come to Boston, it's going to happen and they're going to make it happen. The Celtics will do whatever it takes to get him, right? Obviously, they can't sign him as a free agent, but they can sign and trade or they could just trade for him this season or whatever. So this is a very um, you know, interesting situation in Boston because we don't know what their future holds. And this offseason was kind of a 
a switch from what they were doing. So at the end of the day, I think the Boston Celtics are in a good spot. Ben Simmons is off the table with Boston, and he's just kind of ostracized a little bit in the NBA right now because his value is just not what expected. And a lot, and a lot of teams are just not going to want to willing are not willing to deal with Philly because of the crazy offers they expect for you know Ben Simmons. Right? I think Sacramento had interest. I think they wanted De'Aaron Fox and all these other pieces, and I think um, that kind of soured uh, Sacramento on Ben Simmons. And at the end of the day, I think Ben Simmons might even get more pissed off at Philadelphia because they're not only uh, not really trading him because the packages aren't right, but they're souring. And causing rifts in the relationships where well, Daryl Morey and the upper organization kind of causing these other organizations and teams to be pissed off because the packages are so crazy, right? If Ben Simmons is sitting there and he hears, oh, Toronto has interest, but they're not going to trade Fred Van Bleet and OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam in the fourth pick, do you think Ben Simmons is sitting there like, oh, you know, that's too bad. He's probably pissed off. Like, what the hell? You know that's not a great package. They're not going to accept that. So, you know. I think Ben Simmons, this is, as much as, uh, you know, I like him as a player, this is great to watch as a Celtics fan because this could cripple Philadelphia and their team uh, chemistry and their mantra. And I could easily see Philadelphia falling down this, like, rabbit hole where they just slowly but surely eventually just pitter out and it doesn't go well. So, you know, we'll see what happens and uh, we'll see how it goes with the NBA. It's almost here. I think there's like 34 days left till the NBA starts.